0: Allow me to pray before we begin. Speak, O Lord, that we might hear, that our delight will be to hear nothing else than your word and your word fulfilled in Christ. Speak, O Lord, that we might know your truth from the lies of this world and the half-truths of our hearts. Speak, O Lord, that we might be brought to salvation. Speak, O Lord, that we might be rescued from the world rescued from our sin, rescued from Satan. Speak, O Lord, that Jesus may be exalted and you'll be glorified. In his mighty name, we always pray. Amen. So let's begin by asking a question. What's your experience of death? What's your view of death? So I don't usually watch K-drama. I, I, if I do watch snippets of it, I just chance upon it. You, you, you must believe that. So I chance upon this one. I, it's, it's really true. My wife watches and the only... I chance upon this one called Dear My Friends. I don't know if it was a wrong translation or something. It should be "My Dear My Friends or My Friends Dear. <laughs> and it's all about growing old and ageing, right? And a mother is ageing, one of the characters. And she's suffering dementia and she's Aging and suffering dementia, the story plays out. She has three grown-up sons, uh, but she doesn't want to be a burden to her sons and her daughter-in-law. And so with her increasing age and the aggravating dementia, she decides with a friend that she wants to look for a home, an institution to go to. So her friend is reluctant to find these places. No, it will not be good. And finally, she convinced her friend, and they found this place, and then she packed her bags, and then she finally checked in and settled in, put her bags down, sat on the bed, and said goodbye to her friend. And she said goodbye to her friend as she settled into that institution, that home. She said to her friend, please come and visit me when you can. Please come and visit me when you can. If you have put any of your loved ones, made the agonizing decision, to put them in institutional care, you know a moment like that kills you. The pain of someone you grew up with is now going to be left in a totally strange environment to be looked after by professionals who are paid to look after them. And so people in developed countries like Korea, like Japan, like Singapore, like the West that we are following, We suffer the problem of what? We suffer the problem of longer lifespans and planned deaths, as it were. We have a long runway to the grave. And so our question that we grapple with as our longevity increases to the 80s is how to die slowly? How to live longer, but how to die slowly? You contrast this with the people in Ukraine, war-torn, or third-world countries dying of poverty, right? they experience and suffer the opposite. Unplanned deaths where in Ukraine, the sirens may wail and in a split second, the missile hits a deafening blast and you wake up to the dust and the noise and you find people dead all around you if you survive. There's an eerie silence. So with us, there is a long runway to death in first world countries. For those in war torn countries and famine and poor countries, there is no runway to death. And for them, they wrestle with why do we die so suddenly? Why do we die so abruptly? Why do we die so cruelly? In between the long runway to death in first world countries and the slow run and no runway to death in war torn countries, we have all manners of death. As it were, Death in any way. So you got tragic deaths. Maybe a stillborn child. Maybe you got an accidental death. Do you know being at home is more dangerous than being out there? That you could be mopping the floor and you could slip, you could hit your head and you could end up in coma. Through the last 32 years, I've done all sorts of funerals with all sorts of deaths. And so then there's premeditated death that we spoke about with Gosling last night where if you didn't tune in, he threw a bottle of wine, right? Out of his hatred and bitterness for a racial group here in Singapore and killed a 73-year-old man, or the murderous death of a father who killed his two autistic children. It's hard. And so whether our experience of death and our view of death and expectation of death is a long runway or no runway, or all manners, we are on an unstoppable, slippery slope to death. Do you believe that? The only difference is the speed in which you arrive at the grave, at the cemetery. So it's either the slow cable to death, if you're going down the cable car, or it's the fast, unhinged roller coaster cabin to death, ricocheting to its end. And so there was a line in the K-drama, if I didn't capture it wrongly, right? that's the only reason I watch K-dramas, to get a sermon illustration. And a profound line from the narrator, we are all walking towards death. Isn't that true? But trying to live as fully as possible. We are all walking towards death, but trying to live as fully as possible. A lot of truth to death. So surely we're not supposed to curl up and die. I know I'm going to die, but I don't want to curl up and die and live a depressive life. I want to stand up and try, and we do stand up and try, bravely and sincerely. And so all of us, because of that way of living, we are known by our life's achievement. So you could live your life by resume. How much you achieve in your career, how much you achieve in your work, How much you contributed out of your career and work. If you don't live life by resume, you live life by eulogy. How much you acted in love towards people. Whatever it is, friends, from a moment a child is born, and by God's grace, we have a grandchild who's about to turn one very soon, right? From the moment the grandchild is born, we are born to live. Every ounce and every sinew and every muscle in you strives, strains towards life. The Lord Jesus Christ is totally different. He was the only man born determined to die. That is the radical contrast with Jesus, where every sinew, every waking moment of his life leans towards his death. For all of us, you would say, if you knew my father or knew my mother or knew my brother when he was alive, you would know what he was like. With Jesus, you say the opposite. If you know Jesus in his death, you know Jesus completely. His death reveals, unravels. His identity and his identity determines your destiny and your identity. And so, we said last night, so, the the gospel logic is this. Our claim to fame is life achievement. Jesus' claim to fame is death achievement. What he accomplishes through his death. Very few of us accomplish anything in and through our death. So we said last night that it's Jesus' death that changes us forever. And so every month, we have people passing away in our churches. In ARPC, we I've said this often, you may have heard through our sermons through the years. We average about 50, 60 funerals. Not all our members, we do it for people, as, 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 as a service, as a mission, as a witness. And um, one of our church members, a good brother in Christ, Kamwa, passed away. And um, we got to know Kamwa and his wife, Lai Chan, really well. Because they joined us on the, the trip to Israel and got to know him really well. And, he discovered he had fourth-stage cancer one Christmas day about three years ago. He wasn't feeling well in the afternoon. The daughter rushed him to hospital and they discovered he had fourth-stage cancer. He came back and told his wife, I'm ready to go. What do you think his wife said? You're ready? I'm not ready. <laughs> That's a love story, don't you think? You could ride a long... <laughs> You ready? I'm not ready. Give me some time to cope with this. And so, Jesus' death is the death that changes us forever. And this is what I want to, us to ponder as we begin our time. To change in the light of our impending death is good temporarily. If you know got a year to live, you might change your priorities, you might change your activities. You've got six months to live, you might change it. But to change in the light of Jesus' death is good eternally. And there's a very huge difference. With the first one, you might embark on self-improvement. With the second truth, you embark on living by grace. Trusting completely in the life and death and resurrection. And so you need to ask why. What's so great about Jesus' death that brings such forever change to our hearts and our lives? So both tonight and tomorrow, last night was the sin I never knew that put Jesus to death. Tonight is the the death I never knew, and tomorrow is the Jesus I never knew, and the two roll into one. Once you understand his death, you understand Jesus. You want to know Jesus, you've got to understand his death. So the two things are going to be related. So what did we learn last night as we walked through Mark chapter 14? We learned that what killed Jesus as the whole account unravels was the sophisticated sin that hides. And so I've always used this acronym, right? HDB with sin. You hide, you deny, and you blame. For those who are not Singaporeans, you're tuning into this. HDB is our Housing Development Board, so it's easier for our folks to remember. And where did you find this? You found this manifestation of the characteristic of sin in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, he hid from God. He denied this and he blamed Eve and blamed the serpent. And you find this now in the death of Jesus. From all the religious leaders to Peter and the disciples, every one of them take part in some sort of sophisticated sin that hides presumptuous sin that all deny you, I will never deny you, I will die for you, and the transfer sins that ultimately blames and downloads our sin onto Jesus. And we ask last night, which are you prone to in day-to-day living as a single, in day-to-day living in your work, in day-to-day, day-to-day living in your marriages, in your families, which of these sins are you most prone to? Sophisticated sins? Presumptuous sins, you tend to hide things, you look good while doing evil. We're very prone to that. Which ones are you prone to? It's a very important question to ask. And what stood Jesus apart from all around him, beginning with the new Israel that he was constituting with the 12 disciples? What stood him apart was the Garden of Gethsemane, where he watched and he prayed. And he watched and he prayed. He was his soul was sorrowful to the point of death. And I don't think that man, just because he was gonna die, he was gonna receive God's wrath on our behalf. He considered all the deaths that we will face. And so all that is Satan's work. And Mark's gospel has told us that what are the fingerprints of Satan's work? Disease, demon possession, and all the broken relationships. The Sophisticated sins, the presumptuous sins, and the transfer sins that we see here. So Jesus watched and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane against Satan's work, against our flesh, against our sin, and he prayed for God's will to be done, not his will. Here's a truth that struck me as I was preparing for this. From this point onwards, there's a very important spiritual truth that you and me have to embrace into our hearts and practice in our lives. And what is that spiritual truth? That Jesus' watch and pray life and Jesus' watch and pray moment, His life culminating in His moment at Gethsemane, is finished. It's over. He has done it perfectly. He has watched and He has prayed. But the churches watch and pray has just begun. And the first visual display of the church's call to watch and pray is not a positive one. is not an encouraging one. where Peter, James and John fall flat, who do you think was more tired at the Garden of Gethsemane? Who do you think whose eyelids could, should have been heavier? Who's do you think, whose heart do you think should have been more burdened? Who do you think deserves sleep? I would think, hands down, all of us would say, it's the Lord Jesus. But he didn't sleep. And three times he came back and found them sleeping. So I want to say to you, one of the reasons you are weak, one of the reasons churches are weak, is because Christ's work of watch and pray is not carried out in and through the life of his people. I hope you humbly agree with that. Because you don't watch and pray against the devil, because you don't watch and pray against your your sins, because you don't watch and pray for the, the Father's will and the Father's glory, that's why we are anemic. That's why we are weak. That's why the message we send to the world is not credible. We need to repent and watch and pray. Can you say an amen to that? And from this point onwards, beginning with our EP churches, 16 EP English Presbytery Churches, what does that mean for us? As pastors, as elders and deacons, when God calls us to watch and pray, if we don't highlight this gospel truth and say, this is your highest duty as a pastor, this is your highest duty as an elder, a deacon, this is your highest duty as a child of God, no other duty is higher. It's watch and pray. And so we see it here, friends. Of course, we're not going to see it in all the enemies. We saw it failing. But if only we could see things through God's eyes, because watch and praise to see things through God's eyes and conclude with God's heart. So chapter 15 begins this way. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. I just put the Greek word for you, paradokan. And Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And he answered them, you have said so. In Singlish, you say (laughs) one, Not I say. So he never proclaimed that he was king. He just said, you said. I didn't say. He never claimed to be king. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the priest had delivered him. That's in verse 10. If the main word in the Passover was betrayal, 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 the main word that jumps out at us, two main words, and the two main words are delivered, handed over, and king of the Jews, to help us understand these last moments of Jesus' life. And so, what is this about handed over? So, in chapter 14 and 15, Jesus' life degenerates into a series of handovers, a series of deliverance. And you see that in verse 10, right? And so what do we mean? Judas handed over Jesus because of, can you fill that in? Because of, in chapter 14, verse 10 to 11, because of money. The chief priest handed Jesus over because of envy. Chapter 15, verse 10. Pilate handed over Jesus because he feared the crowds of cowardice to satisfy the crowds. And then the soldiers handed Jesus over because it was just their duty. And they handed him over where? To the cross. So his life was a series of handovers. And that's so important. And why is that important for us to note? Because we must never underestimate what the love of money can make you do in your walk with God and in your walk with others. Isn't that true? Did you read a whole Straits Times feature on legacy planning? What not to leave your children in Singapore? If you want to leave your children anything, property, and leave them so that they don't fight over it, here are the 10 guidelines for it. You think we don't fight about money? I preached this from 1991 when I first started. Never have I seen every week in the papers, then, Street Times, every week there'll be somebody bringing the father, mother, brother, sister to court over an inheritance. Never underestimate what money can do to you. Money is a great barrier to discipleship. Never underestimate what envy can make you do against others. In your heart against your brother or your sister. And sometimes we step into pastoral situations and counseling situations. My goodness, this rivalry began in kindergarten. This rivalry began when they were in uni or JC together. It runs riot and while they're 40 years old, 50 years old. You must never underestimate what envy is capable of turning you into a monster. You must never underestimate what fear of men, peer pressure, and popularity can make you do. And that's why sometimes some of our youth give up. They give up because of the social media pressure. There's too much bullying on Instagram. There's too much bullying on TikTok. All I said was, and this is true, I went to preach at the youth conference in the Philippines and Q&A, three, four hundred Filipino youth, and Q&A, this girl sitting right in front here asked, "Um, I stood up for for God and said, I believe in God making us men and women, and just men and women. And all my friends unfriended me. I was hated so much. When she said that, she was in tears, and all the friends had to surround her and comfort her. You think it's easy to stand up? You think it's easy? And we said last night, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. And if you don't stand for Christ, you will fall for self. And they all gathered around her to strengthen her. You may be so ostracised virtually, in virtuality. And today, for many young people, being ostracised in virtuality is equal to being ostracised in reality. Because virtuality takes up 7, 8, 10 hours of my day. I function in social media. I live in social media. And never underestimate what duty might make you do. And you can never just say, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing my job. So the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, well-known, right? The pastor who stood up against Hitler during World War II. When pastor after pastor, church after church says, he's he's probably the deliverer of our motherland. Germany has been so bullied after World War II, World War I. And so Hitler has come along. And then that huge biography that was given to me, I read the starting, read different bits of it, that so, Germany was the number one Christian country at that time. But how were they so blind to what Hitler was doing to the Jews? And so many of the Christians worked in the top silver service. And all they said was, I'm just doing my duty. I'm just doing my duty. I'm just doing my duty. They were the ones who approved the plans for the gas chambers. They were the ones who planned the logistics for the trains to take them. Surely they were asking, is this transporting freight? What freight? And Bonhoeffer asked, how long are you going to plead i a mere civil servant? You must never underestimate. All the characters here find its common DNA with us, friends. So which one are you prone to? And it is outworking. So when are you going to have a woke moment to this? And each one of this is the fleshing out of Jesus' warning of discipleship in Mark chapter 8. And what was Jesus' warning about discipleship? If you gain the whole world, you will lose your soul. If you lose your life, you will gain. It's a great exchange. Here is the great exchange, not exhaustively, but representatively. So I ask of you as I ask of myself, which of this are you most prone to? Somebody said, every one of us has a price, a price in which I'm willing to sell my soul. You and me better sort out what that price is. For some of us, it is money. For some of us, it is envy of a sibling, envy of someone in ministry. For some of us, the fear of men and popularity is more important for for my security, for my identity. For some of us, it's just, I'm just earning a living. Each of us will have this sophisticated, presumptuous, and transverse sins. So it's very important truth about us. So another truth from this about handing over, delivering. Did you notice every single person or party that handed Jesus over thought that they could hand Jesus over from the chief priest to Pilate, right? to the soldiers, without guilt, without consequence, without accountability. You cannot hand God over. You cannot dismiss God in your life without guilt and culpability and accountability and punishment and judgment. Once we put ourselves on the conveyor belt of irresponsibility, we are all part of a chain of condemnation. Without realizing that we are on a chain of damnation, you think you're on the chain of of irresponsibility, but God will get you. Your final stop is God. You may escape in this world, and so deliver. Know what may deliver your soul to the devil, and then know that as you hand over Jesus, as you dismiss him please do not ever think it's without guilt, is without consequence, it's without punishment. And all of us, Judas betrays, Peter denies three times, the 11 disciples desert, or is it 10, desert. And so what do we all want to do? What did they all want to do with Jesus? To wash their hands of him as soon as possible so there was a temporal time Thing, and then to get rid of him as much as possible. There was a relational personal dimension to wash our hands of him as soon as possible and to get rid of him as much as possible. And in one sense, you and I will not be secure until he's gone. And the devil will tempt you with that truth that you won't be happy with someone beginning with God until you get rid of him. Or her and that's how div- divorces one of significant factors I won't be happy until he disappears from my life. I won't be fulfilled until she goes. and sometimes we have that venom and some of us have a trick in our mind and we go the distance and then we get rid by premeditated murder. So there's the first thing to note to understand the death of Jesus, the seriousness of delivering. The seriousness of handing him over, the next thing we need to note is King of the Jews. And King of the Jews, this whole portion is filled with King of the Jews. And they clothed him in a purple robe, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed, spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him the final handover to the cross and so a little bit of background here is important when the judgment has been passed right by the roman authorities the soldiers have a free hand in how they torture how they torture the person and of course crucifix, crucifixion right and i read from paul barnett's book there are many ways to crucify many ways to impale many ways to pin a criminal to the cross you could impale him to the cross right you can impale him to the cross through his eyes you can impale him to his cross through his genitals you can impale him to the cross through the hands and feet. You can impale a, a person to the cross in any way. That's his background. And here is Jesus. And if you haven't noticed, this is his third round of being beaten. He is now clothed in purple. Purple. Anybody dressed in purple here? Right, most of us in black. That's right. It's, it's Monday, Thursday. It's Good Friday. right? What's the... Colour symbolism of purple is royalty. And so they put a purple robe on him, and then they twisted a crown, a crown of thorns. And you know, I've begun to love flowers now, and one of my favourite flowers are bougainvilleas. There's only one thing about bougainvilleas, beautiful flowers almost year-round, but very thorny. And sometimes when I'm doing it and fertilising it, oops! Pain, pain, got one just that day. No, know, Bougainvillea thorn is like that, a small one. The thorns they're talking about is maybe two to three inches. And they drove that thorn. They didn't put it on lightly, you know, like for Queen Elizabeth. Let's try it. Yeah. They didn't put it on lightly on him. They push it, they shove it onto his skull. And they salute him as King of the Jews. All the verbs here, please take note of the verbs, striking his head, spitting, kneeling, mocking. Here's it we need to get right. In some Christian circles, in some evangelical circles, we rightly say, and we're going to focus on this tomorrow, that the main suffering of Jesus is not his physical suffering. The main suffering of Jesus is not his main and only suffering. But sometimes we go so far to the other spectrum, it's as if he never suffered physically. That will be totally untrue of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why these accounts and all these verbs are captured for us in Scripture, where every word is the Word of God. And so they crowned Him, they coronated Him through the cross. They crowned Him through sarcasm. They parodied Him. They insulted Him. He is crowned through humiliation. And literally, the word translated from Greek to English and in Latin, in Paul Bonacent, Now you ascend the throne by the cross. Ascend the throne by the cross. Then it ended with how they they roped him, then they tormented him, and then they disrobed him. This is King Jesus on their own terms. This is not King Jesus on his terms, but unknown to that, everything that was happening here when Jesus' lives seem to be totally out of control. See, a king does things to people. He has the power, his authority. Jesus, the servant king, things are done to him and is totally helpless and is totally hopeless. Jesus becomes everybody's pet hate. Jesus becomes everybody's punching back and scapegoat. Have you ever been that in your life? To some degree, but never to the nth degree like Jesus and so Luis Zamperini worked as a bombardier in the United States Army in World War II and so it was World War II fighting against the Japanese after the after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor they fought back and in one of the missions in bombing his plane went down crashed into the sea as it crashed into the sea they were marooned They were marooned for seven days. Seven days without food and drink, three of them. No, they were marooned for two weeks. They were marooned for three weeks. They were marooned without food and drink for 47 days. On the 47th day, some Japanese soldiers found them. They were captured, went from one island to the other, and finally they were imprisoned in Tokyo. The commanding officer of his prison was a Watanabe. Let me get it right. Mutsuhiro Watanabe. And from the time he saw Luis Zemper, Zemper, Zemperini, he somehow didn't like him, and always picked on him, and always beat him. And then came an opportunity, because Zamperini was a top runner in high school in America, long distance. And he went to run in Olympics, he didn't win the first gold, he didn't win gold, he was number eight in the final. But he ran the fastest last lap, the fastest time ever, I think for the mile. And so the commanding officer knew that he was an Olympian, an American Olympian. And so he wanted to show that Americans are weaker than Japanese, of course. We do all those things in wars against each other. And then gave him an opportunity, from all that beating he was getting, Ezra, says, "If you go and make this radio announcement,, right, broadcast to America that you' are being treated rather well as a prisoner of war, they'll, you can go, they'll be lighter. You can go to another place and not live and stay here." So he made the announcement, read the script. Then after that, the radio guys came back to him and said, we now want you to read this next announcement. And as he read the script, all these are lies about America. All these are lies about how they are winning the war and how they are treating the prisoners of war. He said he wouldn't do it. So the radio fellas sent him back to the camp, to Watanabe. As he went back, Watanabe was really upset with him that he wouldn't do it. But he didn't beat him. He didn't beat... Louis Zamperini, he beat another prisoner and he says, I'm going to keep beating every prisoner here until you go back and do that. And he started to beat him, brutally. And Zamperini said, beat me, don't beat him. And Watanabe said, okay, all the prisoners in this camp will come and beat you. And so he stood there. He stood there. And one by one, I do not know, was there a hundred of them, fellow prisoners, lined up there, broken-hearted. And each one had to punch Zemperini as hard as possible in his face, though he was totally innocent. Every single one smashed him, smashed him, smashed him. You know what Jesus faced? was much worse than that. The movie is called Unbroken. Go watch it. It's a true story. But here's the curly thing, or the great thing, that while Maroon out there, he was from a Catholic background. He said to God, while Maroon out there, I don't know on which day of the 47 days, if you save me, I will serve you, oh God. And after the Americans won the war, He survived. At the Billy Graham crusade, he gave his life to Christ and he flew back to Japan to forgive everyone. He wanted to meet Watanabe, who was still alive, but Watanabe didn't want to meet him. I ask of you, friends. A man absorbing the world's hatred can offer love so freely and fully? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The receiver of the world's hatred, the world's venom, pays back with love. So that's very important for us to realize. As we read about the suffering leading to the death of Jesus, both his physical pain and his relational pain that we're gonna look at tomorrow when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what made Zamperini able to do that? There are very important gospel truths here, right? For if you watch and pray, how much we hang on to hate may reveal how little love has gripped us. And we are, when we are gripped by the love of Jesus, then you might slowly but surely, the hatred might be peeled from your fingers. They beat me, they treated me like an animal. They treated me like nothing. They accused me falsely again and again, but to the love of God and through Christ. So, are you watching and praying in your life, in our EP churches? If you don't watch and pray and understand what Jesus, what's happening to Jesus here, you will hang on to hate because the love of Jesus hasn't gripped you. Forgiving is difficult, no, friends. Forgiving is impossible. Every time you forgive, and every time you not just passively forgive, but pray for the blessings of the person you forgive. There's a test, right? Pray for the blessings for the person that has wronged you. Something dies within you. It feels like death. How much we hang on to hate shows how little love has gripped us. And so, we actually know so little. Everybody around him knew so little about Jesus, right? But we judge him so comprehensively. Jesus knows all of us so fully and comprehensively, but he judges us so mercifully, so graciously, so little? No, he took the rap for us. And I want to say that these are gospel truths. These are watch and praise that will transform your heart, that will transform your home, that will transform your neighbourhood, that will transform your communities, that will make our churches a shining light. And what do you say as the people of God? So I ask of you, how long are you going to hang on to this hatred, to this bitterness? How long? So Jesus is a man facing hell, but promising heaven. Where do we see that? See how it ends. See how it ends. It ends here, right? 1529, the passers-by derided him, wagging their heads. Wagging their heads at what? He's a temple destroyer. He's a master rebuilder. (laughs) Let him destroy and let him build. And the word is, save yourself and come down. Save yourself. The Greek word, the root word is sozo, from which we get the word salvation. The very reason Jesus came was not to save himself. For those who have heard of what was the prior picture before the cross, the prior picture before the cross that's not recorded by Mark, is actually recorded by John, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And as he washes the disciples' feet, it's not something a rabbi would ever do, a teacher would ever do for a student. It's not something an average Jew would do for each other. It's something reserved for a slave, for a servant. But here was Jesus. He got up, wrapped the towel around him, got the basin. As he did all that, right? As he did all that. Have you seen people prepare a meal? Have you invited people? Have you seen your wife cook a meal, your husband cook a meal? And you see them preparing, chopping, cutting. Say, let me help you, let me help you. As you see Jesus pre- celebrate this meal, right, you see him get up, and you see him do this, you could have said as the disciples, Rabbi, I don't know what you're doing, but sit down. Sit down, Rabbi. But nobody got up from their seats, actually from their reclining positions. Nobody got up. Only he got up and then he stooped down to wash their dirty, grotty feet. So what enabled and empowered Jesus to get up and what disabled and pinned his disciples to their seats. What pinned his disciples to their seats was their pride. What enabled Jesus to get up and stoop down and wash the feet was his humility. And so when the crowds walked by and they derided him and wave after wave, person after person says, come down, save yourself, come down, save yourself, Jesus was nailed to the cross, pinned to the cross. What pinned him to the cross? Here's a question to ask, right? Our depravity pinned him to the cross. That would be true. Secondly, God's sovereignty pinned him to the cross. But ultimately, between our depravity and God's sovereignty, it was Jesus' humility pinned him on the cross. You and I do not get up in life to say sorry to each other because you are pinned there by the weight of your pride. And forever, you'll be gripped by hatred and unforgiveness and no reconciliation And sometimes we have to get this right. I've said this much in my sermons. We may travel across hundreds of kilometers to share the gospel in India, in China, in Myanmar, but I'm not willing to walk walk across three meters of my lounge room to say sorry to my mother or sorry to my father. So one woman is saying to me, I don't know what I did wrong to my daughter once. She just gave me the cold shoulder. Slam the door, and days just. Cold War, silent treatment. Cold War, silent treatment kills you. So, who do you think should make the first move? She waited, she prayed, she waited, she prayed, and finally she wrote a note and slipped it under her daughter's door. See, if I have wronged you, I'm sorry, but I just don't know what I did wrong. At least you tell mummy what I did wrong, then I can say sorry. We may be willing to fly hundreds of kilometers for a mission trip, but the very person that God wants you to save is four meters across in your HDB flat. What will pin you down is your pride. What pinned Jesus to the cross was his humility. So you've got to watch and pray. Are you going to do this? Can you do this? Will you do this? It's so important. And so, this is watch and pray against Satan, against sin and for God's will. And he had said in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life is ransom for many. And he said in the Passover that we are going to re This is my body for you. This is my blood for you. The very reason Jesus came was not to save himself, was to save you and to save me. That's why He hung on the cross. And so in a few moments, we're going to crown our time by this celebration. He came to save you, every single one of us. How dare we dismiss Him without consequence, without culpability, without accountability? Jesus came to save you. And that's vitally important for us to capture. May you hear this gospel message. May you understand it afresh. And so, back to Kamwa and his wife, Lai Chan. Today we went to visit them at the wake, as the body arrived at their home, at the void deck. And speaking to Lai Chan, the wife, I'm ready now. God has given them about three and a half years. Three and a half years. He miraculously survived. Three and a half years. And this is important for us to realise. That we've got to understand our pain paradox. That God is most revealed when He's most hidden. That's why Jesus didn't come down from the cross. And you've got to understand the paradox of the cross and the paradox of pain. God is most revealed when He's most hidden. And as he reflected on Kamwa's life, the last three and a half years said his wife, Lai Chan, was, was when he shone so much for the Lord. From the time he heard he had a fourth stage cancer, he shone for the Lord. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. You would not go and visit him and find a dying man. You'll find a man who believes in Jesus, his faith, his trust, In Jesus was infectious and contagious, slightly more infectious than COVID-19. And here is the picture of his infectiousness. Do you think this is a picture of a dying man? And this is barely three, four weeks before he passed on. So what's your view of death? Long runway, short runway or any way, What's your view of death? Whatever your view of death is going to take you. But his view of death changed when he gave his life to Christ. And your view of life can change when you give your life to Christ. And not just superficially listen to the Gospel, but walk through these passages again and again. And no, Jesus didn't come down from the cross because he didn't come to save himself. He came to save you that's the only way to live your life and if we as ep churches took the death of jesus more seriously and we watch and prayed about his suffering and his death i bet you we will be a shining light in singapore don't you think i'm not sure actually at this moment for those who are watching i'm just trying to get the mood here if you took jesus seriously and humbly you would shine brighter, as bright as that smile. And it won't be the smile of a face, of a man facing death, but a man going to meet his Lord who laid down his life for him. Amen. Let us pray together. spend a few moments in just quiet and necessary reflection of all that God has spoken into your heart. Whatever view you came and attended this meeting tonight, whatever view of life, whatever view of death, we pray and hope has been clarified and enlightened by the life, the suffering, and the death of Jesus. And in beholding his death, may your life and my life change forever. Heavenly Father, you are to be praised, you are to be worshipped, for loving us though we are so unlovable, for giving us your very best, in giving us your only Son. To Jesus we must turn, and to him, we, in him we must trust. We confess all manners of sin that proceed from our heart. Our sophisticated sin, our presumptuous sin, our transverse sin that hides, that denies and blames. And now we understand the seriousness of handing over and delivering. Just treating Jesus as if he was of no consequence to our lives. How wrong that is. And not treating Jesus as the King, the King of the universe, to whom we can entrust our life and take our instructions from. Heavenly Father, we come confessing we come repenting because you have drawn us to yourself. And for those of us who perhaps have never given our life to you, we pray that tonight will be the start of a new life, surrendered to Jesus. For those of us who call ourselves believers, may you find us now loving Jesus, worshipping him and trusting him ever more so that the Lord Jesus' watch and pray is finished. But our watch and pray against Satan, against our sin, for the Father's glory and for the Father's will, must begin in our lives. We pray for this revival in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, that we can be a shining light for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.